You're listening to the Eastside Church Podcast, and we appreciate you joining us. Let's listen into a message from Pastor Brandon Sharp. I thank y'all for such a time as we're in right now, just to encourage us and say, hey, this community we're talking about, we're not, we're not playing a church game. It's real life. It's needed right now like it's never been needed before. And we have an opportunity. You know, you think about the words of that song that are really, really impacting me. Kelly and I were talking about this before the service. Jesus, you never told me it was going to be easy. In fact, quite the contrary. You said it's going to be suffering. But you can have peace. And, and I'm telling you, we all know people disconnected from community, they don't have peace. They don't have peace, so I can't help but think the peace that God promises, you know, is certainly his presence and his word to us, but, but it's also his people to us. And so that's what I, that's what I really want to talk to us about this morning is, you know, we've been talking about community a lot lately, and you go, why, Brandon? Because, because we desperately need it. It's who God's called us to become, and, and we haven't arrived. We can, we can get better. We can get stronger. We can move forward, right? So we're going we're gonna to stay there talking about community, talking about healthy relationships. And, and how, do we really, how do we really build that? How do we really take ownership of that? I think something that is very easy to do is look to, look to east side, right? Look to the institution, maybe look to the leadership and say, that's what you guys are paid to do, right? Like, what are the answers? And, and build this thing and to kind of have an unhealthy balance. Now, now having said that, we are working, we are praying, we are, we are seeking the Lord, right? We are pushing, pushing ourselves to, to lead well and lead from the front. And that is what the expectation should be, right? And so I, I was listening to a, a pastor from, from New Life Church in Colorado. Cheryl and I spent some time there. We lived in Colorado. His name's Glenn Packiam. Uh, some of you guys may know him. And he shared this story about the Battle of Dunkirk that it really, it really portrayed this well, I think. And so I wanna, I wanna share it with you guys this morning. So the Battle of Dunkirk was World War II, 1940, and right toward the end of, of May. So May 23rd, particularly. And what the, the scene is that the Allied forces, so, so, so British and, and Belgium and, and France, uh, were kind of pinned in uh, on the French border of the sea, and, and the, the Nazi German forces were pressing against them. And for whatever reason, right when they looked like they had them pinned and, and, and they could just crush the Allied forces, a halt order was issued from high-ranking German, German leadership, and that was on May 23rd, and it lasted until May 26th, so for three days. So in that three days, um, Allied forces were able to kind of plan, hey, we need to get out of here, <laughs> an evacuation plan, and to start that plan. And over the next nine days, so as they were fighting, they were, they were evacuating. Over the next nine days, they evacuated over 330,000 troops. Allied troops. Pretty amazing, yeah? 
and 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 how they did it was you would think at the time the British Navy was the strongest in the world so you would think they would just bring in you know the fleet that was the British Navy and and bring these guys out but they couldn't do that because of German submarines and U-boats and you know they would have blown up that plan and so they had to lean into a different strategy fishing boats paddle boats personal boats marine vessels even some yachts yes they had yachts in the 40s some some cruise vessels some cruise liners those kinds of things and almost shuttle with smaller personal boats out to some of the destroyers that were staged much further out and they got again i think the number is roughly 338,000 troops out in nine days that way. You know, why was he sharing that story? Why do, why do I share that story? Because we're in a time where it's not going to be an institutional victory. It's going to be a personal victory. And so what you hear me saying is we need your fishing boat. We need your fishing boat. You know, it's, if we're looking toward a, a staff that is a handful of people to care for the volume that is this body when everybody is struggling right now, we're setting ourselves up for failure, right? That's what I mean. It's not gonna be an institutional victory. It's gonna be a personal victory. So what does that really look like? It looks like ownership right? It looks like all of us that are the body that is Eastside Church taking ownership in this caring for one another, this loving one another well, and this reaching out, right? Instead of a very easy tendency to buy into, if so-and-so was doing their job, this person would feel loved right now. Can you guys see how easy that is? It's very easy. And so, and so I just want to encourage I want to encourage us, think, here's, here's, here's three suggestions, right? Ask the Lord, pray. Ask the Lord for a family. Ask the Lord for a name. Someone that you know, their family's struggling, right? They're going through it. Families are being attacked right now. Marriages are being attacked right now. Serious struggle in our body. And you probably know about several. Lord, what family do I know that's struggling? It could be relational. It could be financial, right? It could be, could be job-related. It could be a lot of different things. It could be health-related. We have several families struggling majorly with health issues in our body. Give me a name of a family who's struggling. I'm going to pray. I'm going to touch. I'm going to reach. It's easy, y'all. When I get on the phone, I don't know what I'm going to say either. Beyond, checking on you. Love you. You're not alone. How can I pray? What do you need? Right? And so it's that... Um, families that are struggling, families that we haven't seen, right? This is, not a, this is not a let's build the church backup strategy. You guys know me. The only reason I care about that is because I care about people. This is a loving people well plan. So who have we not seen for quite some time? Hey, checking on you. How are you? Love you. How can I pray? This is what that fishing boat looks like because even if they're not here, they're still a part of our body, still a part of our community. 
and they need to feel that. They need to experience that. And then our elderly, those who are older, right? I'm not going to throw an age on that. They kind of forced me to first service. But those that are older, they're walking through this challenge that is COVID very differently than the younger generation. Different stress, different anxiety, different, different fear, different navigating. We have many in our body that are caregiving, right? For, for, for parents or things like that. And, and we need to hold them up well and lift their arms, right? And you go, Brandon, really? You think that's what a move of God looks like? Absolutely. Healthy community, healthy relationships. So it is doing life together and we have to be participants in that process and owning that very much because if we're not, we'll become critics just as easy. Fair? So as we're doing life together, And as we're engaging one another, we're going to be in Matthew 5. So you guys can turn over there. And now I want to kind of switch our thought process a little bit to to as I engage Jim Marshall, right, and do life with him, what what does my heart posture toward him need to look like? Because we can spend as much time with each other, text, on the phone, in person, come to as many gatherings. And if our heart posture is not aligned with the Father's heart posture toward that individual, we're, we're building something, but we're not building healthy community. We're not building healthy relationships. We have to align with heaven in engagement and posture to build that. So let's go to Matthew chapter five. He starts with the Beatitudes and we're not going to go through them all for time's sake here. Uh, But I just want to give you maybe a different way of thinking about the Beatitudes. Oftentimes when we look at them, Jesus is talking to his disciples here. And oftentimes when we look at them, we think, Lord, these these are attitudes that you want me to strive for, right? This is what you want me to become. Or in our relationship with the Father as we go through that and he draws us to himself and, and we, we have sober judgment about our condition and there's our poor in spirit, there's our mourning, there's our comfort, those kinds of things. I think that's absolutely true. But the last time I went through them, I also saw a very relational aspect to them, right? If, if we're in relationship with one another, then, then when Nick hurts, I hurt. Do you guys see that? There is a, there's a poverty of spirit there. There's a, there's a mourning there. There's a meekness there. Think about meekness, self-restraint, power under control. There's a peacemaking there. This is not just about us and the Father. These Beatitudes are also about us and each other, right? And so it's very difficult. But what I see the Lord reminding us of in the Beatitudes is, hey, when you're in relationships and they get tough, don't be discouraged. Keep, keep going. And he even says, you can, even when there's persecution, you can rejoice and you can be exceedingly glad, right? Because all these promises are coming to those who invest in the people of God. It's the way I process it is when we do marriage counseling, one of the loudest things you say is, hey, go into this thing with realistic expectations. It's not gonna be flowers and tulips and roses and happy and singing all the time. Like there's gonna be rough days. And the reason we do that is because then when those rough days come, discouragement won't set in and you won't walk away. So just seeing the Beatitudes a little bit in that light, hey, here's realistic expectations, not only to walk with me, but to walk with my people. And so when you get in those places, remember you're blessed right there. 
Remember, there's promise right there. And, and don't lose heart and don't lose your joy. It's interesting to me that, that it goes right into, you're the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? Throw it out, trample it, right? Look to your neighbor, even if your neighbor's far away and say, stay, stay salty. Stay salty. Right? How do we do it? Y'all, we take heart when it's hard. That's how we do it. And then, and so what I want to do is we're going to walk through basically six places where the Lord said, you've heard it said like this, but, but I say this to you. But before we get there, Jesus sets it up by, by saying, you know, I think in, I don't know, 17, maybe, maybe 20-ish. I'm just going to walk through it with you a little bit. 17, he says, don't think that I came to abolish the law. I came, I came to fulfill the law. Nothing of the law is passing away. Not one jot, not one tittle. And then at the end of that, I think in 21, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom. And so Jesus is laying out two, two thoughts about righteousness, two approaches to righteousness. And one is the religious way and one is the kingdom way. You guys tracking with me so far? Yep. Talk to me. Okay. And then he goes into... You've heard it said, shall not commit murder. But I tell you, anyone who's angry in his heart against his brother without cause, that person's in danger of judgment. And then he walks through, and anyone who says you fool, and anyone who says raka, right, which is basically condemning a brother. And so what you see is you see this escalation of anger in the heart of the individual. He follows that by saying, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, take those three sections, right? Our Bible section scripture off all nicely, clump them together and go, what are you saying, Lord? What are you really saying? When Jesus says, unless to his disciples, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, the Pharisees had created an oral tradition called the Mishnah. Yeah? M-I-S-H-N-A-H. That's close. The Mishnah, and what it was, was they had added to the Mosaic law. And it was robust, like lots and lots of commandments, lots and lots of details. And what this was, was their interpretation of the law. Their, this is how you walk out that law. But they got into a ditch as they did that because they took away from God's holy law given by angels. And then they added to it their own interpretations and their own opinions of that. And then they took those two things and they put them on the same level of authority. That's why Jesus said, you make the word of God of no effect by your traditions. Now, oftentimes we look at the Pharisees and we give them a bad rap. But honestly, like me, I'll speak for me. If I was alive at the time of Jesus, I probably would have been a Pharisee. And so I can relate to them and I can go, Lord, why, why did they feel the need to do that? Your way left room for discovery and man took that way and added so much to it that Jesus said, you put a burden on people that they can't handle and you yourselves can't even handle your own burden. And this is why, and this is the first thing I want us to hear again this morning as we talk about relationships. Your tendency is probably to control people. My tendency is to control people. 
Get him to do, get him to do what I want him to do. Behavior modification. And, and how we do that is we outline everything. We detail everything, right? Standard to, to a T as far as it can go. And then we can hold people accountable when they're not meeting that standard. But if you leave mystery, even in the standard, then you make room for a heart response. Do you guys see that? The Lord's word makes room for a response from the heart. And when people get into that process and put our own spin on it, we'll crush that room. Can you see that in you? I can see that in me. It's so big. It's so loud right now. And so, and so then what the Lord says about murder makes a lot of sense, right? Like, like I'll use Kelly for an example. My responsibility before God goes so much further with Kelly than I just have to not kill you. But listen, this was their world. I mean, come on. This is how they thought. Like, this is what I have to do to be righteous before God, not kill you. But you can't build relationship on that. Kelly can keep breathing under that kind of law, but it doesn't build anything. Can you see that? And then Jesus steps in and says, no, 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 no. There's so much more to it than that. That's way out here. That's external. But there's also this space of the heart. So now I see my responsibility before God is to keep my heart postured rightly before Kelly and to not let anger creep in undealt with over time and turn into a root of bitterness. And it's the same thing he's doing with the adultery, the the adultery conversation, right? They would have said, like, this is what I need to do to be right right before God, not not actually commit adultery. And the Lord says, no, so much bigger than that. There's this space in your heart that I want to mold and I want to shape. And so I love what the Lord's doing when we think about relationships with, it's not just external, it's external and internal. Because for me, if all I have to deal with is the external and change behavior, I can do that. And I can control that. But if that's only half of what God's desiring, then I have to back up and go, all right, Lord. Basically, this is what Jesus said, Pharisees, Sadducees, and at least to me, I'll speak for me in this space, there's this whole aspect of walking with God and people, Brandon, you can't control, called the heart. It's my space. That's my space with Rodney. You can't control that. Doesn't that set us free? Doesn't that like take the pressure off a little bit? I love it. I love thinking about this with my children. So we have 11-year-old boy, 14, 15-year-old girls, right? And I've always tried to raise them in a way that, that it, wouldn't, it wouldn't have oppression on it. It wouldn't have control on it. But this has been my motivation because when they get out from underneath my roof, they'll do whatever they want to do. If it's not real, if it's not from the heart, it won't stick, right? Any parents with me? And this is taking that a step further to say, no, 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 Brandon, not only will it not stick, but if you force them, you have robbed them of an opportunity to truly love me. Did you guys hear what I said? This is big. This will change the way we engage one another. If you control them, and if it's only external, 
you will have robbed them of an opportunity to truly love me because love has to come from the heart. Good? That's what he's doing in the beginning of of this, of this conversation is saying, hey, it's God's concerned with the heart. Now, when we really buy into this and we really believe this, like, ah, Lord, external matters, absolutely. But the heart matters. We will approach one another differently. We'll approach one another in an honoring way, knowing that we don't have the ability to create what needs to be created. The spirit of God has that ability alone in the human heart. So we'll be much more mindful to stay out of the way and love people and listen to people and give people room to actually have an encounter with God and discover revelation. Is that good? Is that encouraging? This is very practical this morning. Now, it seems like that he's kind of leaving the relationship conversation a little bit in 31 when he says, furthermore, it's been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Listen, this is important. Out of these six, out of these six things where Jesus says, you've, you've heard it said, but I say, only three of them are actually rooted in the Old Testament. The other three are some kind of blend between the Old Testament and the oral tradition. Why is that important? Because just because Jesus says, you've heard it said, that doesn't make it God's law. So there's a, there's a mixing, there's a twisting that comes in there. And this is one of those statements. He absolutely said, you shall not murder. He absolutely said, you shall not commit adultery. But he did not say, divorce your wife, give her a certificate of divorce. That's not law. That's why you don't have a little number there telling you where you can go back into Leviticus and find that because it's not there. The, the divorce certificate was given because of the hardness of men's hearts. And what it did was it actually freed up the divorced woman to go and, 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 and keep living life, right? And, and get married again. But, but they had made it this, there was this, there was this tension going on in the day between two rabbis, one named Shammai, I think, and the other Hillel. And they had two different schools of thought about many things, but certainly about divorce and relationships. Many of the questions that you see the religious leaders coming to Jesus with are based on the tension in the current debate of the day between these two schools of thought. One said, you can only divorce her for, for sexual immorality. And the other said, if she burns your dinner, you can send her away. right? Anything you're displeased with, you can send her away. Just send her away with a bill of divorce. Just send her away with a certificate of divorce. And so Jesus steps in and says, you've heard it said between the law and your tradition, just give her a bill of divorce. But he says, anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, commits adultery. Anyone who marries a woman divorced for any other reason commits adultery. You say, Brandon, make sense of that. Listen, I don't understand this completely. Like there's humility. I'm not going to pretend to be something that I'm not. I will say this. What I see the Lord saying large in this conversation is there was a group of people in a train of thought that said, throw a marriage away easily. Throw a, throw a marriage away for any reason you want. And Jesus came in and said, no. No, there are certain extreme conditions where the marriage covenant cannot survive but so much more of the time, the marriage can survive. You fight for it, right? You, you fight for it. Don't throw people away easily. 
don't throw your wife away easily. And so, so when I think about this and I pan out on the larger context of where we are and what culture looks like, we have a culture that's ready to throw you away in a heartbeat. Throw people away in a heartbeat. Don't cross me. Don't offend me. Don't look at me the wrong way. Speak to me the wrong way. Don't post something on Facebook I like. Certainly don't disagree with me politically because if you do any of those things, the relationship is over. And the Lord would say, no, 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 no. We don't approach people and approach relationships mindful of all the reasons and all the things that they could do or not do for us to sever that relationship. This is deep, y'all. This is heart stuff we're talking about this morning. But if my approach is to be like the Lord's approach, it will be there are times and there are extreme conditions where this relationship may not be able to continue but there's a thousand wrongs that I can see, see you through. There's a thousand wrongs we can work through together and we can mend and we can reconcile and we can make this thing work. And the church needs to look different than the world there and the grace that we show towards each other and the mercy and the willingness to work it out, you know, which is gonna keep going into where he's going for the rest of this chapter. But again, you know, the next, the next section there about oaths that seems at a glance to be a little bit, you know, awkward and, and not really fitting, but, but what, he's, what he's saying, and again, it's not there, right? So this one's, this one's like circled in my Bible. It's the fourth one in it circle because you can't go back in, in Exodus or Leviticus or Deuteronomy and, and find that statement. It's not there. So this is a blending of their oral tradition about oaths. You know, so Jesus says, you've heard it said that you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oath to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, it's God's throne, nor by earth, it's his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, it's his city, nor by a hair on your head. You don't have the ability to make one hair white or black. So don't swear by it, right? Now, why? Think with me, right? He's certainly saying this in relationship with the Lord, but think with me in relationship with one another. Why would the Lord say, don't swear? Because if you have to swear by something greater than yourself, it's because you don't have credibility. If you have to go beyond my yes is my yes and my no is my no, if I have to, if I have to graduate to this place of, I swear, I'm actually serious. I'll really be there. I promise I'll call you. If I have to go to those places, it's because not keeping my word has made my integrity before you so questionable that I have to stretch beyond yes or no. Can you see it? What the Lord is saying is that if we're going to build kingdom relationships and kingdom community, trust is the foundation. You don't have trust in a relationship, you don't have a relationship, right? And so how do we walk that out, Brandon? Be honest even when it hurts, even when you're scared, when you say you'll be there, be there. When you say you'll be there at a time, be there. When you say you'll call, call. Simple, keep your word. Simple and yet it challenges me to the core because I'll speak things so easily and not feel the weight 
of executing what I've spoken. And so the Lord says, huh, there's a better way in relationships. And then he jumps into the next section. And this section is amazing to me because this is the section that makes it, looks, it makes it look like the Lord calls us to relationships without accountability and relationships without boundaries. And I don't know about you, but that look, that understanding of the passage we're about to read terrifies me. <laughs> Come on, Michelle Brown's with me right? It's scary. Like, Lord, you're really calling me to seemingly a place of abuse, seemingly to a place where I would be a doormat and just let people run over me. This doesn't seem like you, God. And I've got good news. It's not. He's not calling us to that place of having no standard and having no backbone and having no boundaries. And so we can trust him there and we can, we can walk together there. Let me take you through it. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, by the way, that's really there. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have to go back to the law in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy to understand the context here. That's where eye for an eye comes from. At a glance, it looks like revenge. You hurt me, Nick, I'm gonna hurt you equally. What it is, is it's a law of restitution. It's a law of restitution, right? If you're taking notes, write that down. It's not revenge, it's restitution. So, so what this would look like in the event that, 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 that Bethany's ox, Bethany has an ox and her ox kills my ox, right? What the law says to, to avenge me in the sense to, to make it right for my wrong and to protect her is all I can do is come to you and say, you owe me an ox. I can't come to you and say, your ox killed, killed my ox. Give me Joshua. I want your firstborn. Do you see that? The Lord limited the restitution. The Lord protected. An eye for an eye is not vengeance. An eye for an eye is protective and limits. All you can, insurance, all you can do is cover the loss, right? Can you see it? Does everybody see it? Because if not, I'll walk through it again. It's very, very important. Because we can trust the Lord in relationships because he's, he's for healthy boundaries. So it's a law of restitution. Now, what he's saying to his people is this. When you're the one that has caused the wrong, Brandon, the law says this is what you have to do to make it right. Give Bethany your ox. As my disciple, speaking for the Lord, as my disciple, I want you to do more. I want you to go beyond that. Go beyond the minimum required. Isn't that beautiful? Why? Why do that? Because the relationship is priority. Restoring the relationship is priority. And so you do extra, but I love that he says, if they sue you and you have to give them your, your cloak, give them your tunic also, not your entire wardrobe, not your entire closet. Right? And if you're, if you're wrong and they, they had the right to slap you on one cheek to make it right, you turn one more just to make sure that the relationship can be mended. 
If you have to walk one mile, walk an extra mile. He didn't say walk with them a hundred. Can you see it? So important. Because one thing's for sure, we do life together, I'm gonna hurt you. Prayerfully, I won't mean to. I'm gonna disappoint you. I'm not gonna meet your expectation. And you'll do all the same to me. And so what the Lord gives us is, hey, let me empower you to save the relationship, mend the relationship, to heal, to to give to one another. And he does it with healthy, healthy boundaries. I love that. And then he ends, and we'll end this morning right here with 43. You've heard that it was said, "You you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. By the way, you can't find that in the law. Nowhere does God tell us to hate our enemies. It's not there. What he does tell us is love your neighbor. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Are you challenged? Oh my goodness. that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For who he makes his son rise, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect or mature. You should be mature as your father in heaven is mature. You know, again, y'all, I don't have to, I don't have to say too strongly what we see in the world. What we see in the world is you hurt me, I hurt you worse, right? But when Jesus says, and think about in this in the, in the context of relationships, when Jesus says, even those who are your enemy, this is what I want the posture of your heart to look like toward them. I want you to love them. I want you to pray for them. I want you to bless them. And I want you to do good to them. Those four things. Then for me, I go, ah, Lord, how quickly do I leave that place, even with someone I would call a brother or a sister, right? When When they offend me, they do something that let me down, you know, not what I wanted to be or what I don't want to be, whatever. In this place where, not when I say I'm offended or not, but the place where I, I really stop being mindful to love them. I stop blessing them. I stop praying for them and I stop doing good to them. And so where I find the Lord challenging me is, Brandon, where's that, where's that line for you? What does that line for you look like? You know, when someone does this and all those things that I've, I've invited you to never turn off, they turn off. That's the place. You guys can stand with me. That's the place. You know, you talk about, and we say it kind of tongue in cheek, and I don't feel like it ever really seeks in. 
You know, we talk about being an unoffendable people. Think about that. What does that really, what does that, what does that really look like? You know? And it looks like abuse. So we say, nope, nope. Sorry, Lord. Move on, move on by. But it's not, it's not that. It just looks like the way God loves us. He's never offended to the point where he shuts down loving us, blessing us, praying for us, and doing good to us. And so, Jim Marshall, I go, Lord, I want to be like that. As I do relationship with you, I want to be able to look honestly at you and say, there is nothing that you can do to me that would keep me from loving you, blessing you, praying for you, and doing good to you. You don't have that power over me. See it? See it? Don't give people that power over you. I'll close with this. You know, there's another scripture in the Gospels that says, when we love like that, it'll be like heaping hot coals on the head of our enemy. And so if you understand that, like I've understood that most of my life, you go, ah, finally, Lord, revenge, pain, suffering. There's a lot of different ways we can look at that verse and some of it's you just make them miserable and some of it they'll start evaluating their heart posture and actually turn to the Lord. Like, wait a second, Bailey loves me in a way that it doesn't make sense for her to love me. So maybe her God's actually real and there's a turning. It's the kindness of God. Um, I like that one more, especially when the Lord says, Brandon, vengeance is mine. That's not your place. You're not invited there. But there's another one that I read and I like this one. I like this one too, you know. Fire meant a lot more in their day than it does in our day. It was their heat. It was their method for cooking. It was their method for purifying water. And so if your fire went out, you're in a rough spot. But if a neighbor had fire and had coals, then you could go to your neighbor's house and your neighbor would share some of those hot coals that would go into container that you would carry on your head back to your house and back to your fireplace and you would have fire again. I like that imagery. I like hot coals. I want to love when it hurts and think that it could be a lifeline for the other person. Father, we bless you. Thank you for an intimate moment with you, Father. Thank you for bringing us together for worship. Thank you for your word, God. It's life. It's not easy, but it's life. And God, it can empower us to build relationships that are miraculous. will stay if we'll fight if we'll love like you do even when it hurts I pray blessing and great grace over my family 
to be able to walk this out, God. Because we need it. And even more so. So we can represent you well. Bring you glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today for our podcast. Eastside Church exists to help people encounter Jesus, be equipped to grow and engage their community. For more information, please go to our website at eastsidechurch.co.